Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Dwayne Jones. Goodbye, Gully Queen. Sunday, July 21st, 2013, Montego Bay, Jamaica. Warning. The following episode you're about to listen to will contain audio evidence of misgendering and misappropriate language. Listening discretion is advised. Gays and lesbians in Jamaica live in a state of constant fear. We live knowing that the probability of us being killed is very high. Dwayne Jones was a transgender youth who was chased out of home at about 14 years old. He was killed because he was at a party, he was dressed in female wear, and someone at the party outed him. This was at a street dance with about 300 people, and it appeared that no one attempted to intervene as they ran him down, stabbed him, shot him three times and then ran over him with a car and left him to die on the side of the road. How does it reflect on society when you have a 16-year-old kid that's being so brutally murdered and nothing happens, no consequence? When I was in Jamaica, I interviewed over 77 LGBT people. The one thing that we heard time and time again was about how they were not accepted by society. Kids as young as 12 years of age being kicked out of their homes. I was beaten by six guys along with my brother and my mother in Spanish tongue where I had to run and pack my things and leave from that community. That's how I ended up here. I have been following the homeless LGBT youth who live in storm drains. For these youth, it means that they have shown signs of behavior that is outside of the heterosexual norms. That may mean that they are bullied at home, at school, or bullied within their families. Sometimes communities threaten to beat the gay youth, presumably to beat the gayness out of him. And the threat can be escalated to threats of death or threats of burning down the home in which the youth lives. These persons feel that there is nowhere to go. Homosexuality is not necessarily illegal in Jamaica. However, Jamaica does have uh, the buggery laws on its books. 
The burglary laws are very old laws that come from when Jamaica was under British rule. While it doesn't outlaw homosexuality, it does outlaw anal sex between men. But the interpretation by different government agencies, including the police, fuels homophobia. There have been too many cases in which persons who have attacked members of the LGBT community have not been charged, let alone convicted. I was beaten up by four police officers in, in a pharmacy in Kingston in front of over 200 people. I went to live in Hyden. One day I was stuck in traffic and a man walked across from a, a parked car on the other side of the road and he came across and said to me, said, we'll find you, and we're going to kill you. Um, that, that was a life-changing moment. It's, I didn't go back home. People are leaving Jamaica because, uh, because they fear for their lives. They, they, feel, they don't feel safe at home in Jamaica. And they're moving to countries like Canada to find safety. The reason I left Jamaica is because I was kicked out of the closet, so I had to flee the country that I was born in to seek refuge in a country where I am fully accepted for my sexual orientation. I worry every day about the LGBT people in Jamaica. I worry every day. I get phone calls, I got emails, I get letters asking for help. My life is in danger back home. Can you help? No one deserves to be hunted and chased out of their homeland. And I think it's supported by our government in the fact that they don't do anything. It's Sunday, July 21st, 2013, in the city of Montego Bay. It would be the home where 16-year-old trans and gender non-conforming youth, Dwayne Jones, would reside. Montego Bay, the capital of the parish of St. James in Jamaica, the city is the fourth largest urban area in the country by population after Kingston, Spanish Town, and Portmore, all of which form the greater Kingston metropolitan area, home to over half a million people. As a result, Montego Bay is the second largest city in the Caribbean after Kingston. Montego Bay is a popular tourist destination featuring duty-free shopping, Cruise Line Terminal, and several beaches and resorts. The city is served by the Donald Sangster International Airport, the busiest airport in the Caribbean. The city is enclosed in a watershed drained by several rivers, such as the Montego River. Montego Bay is referred to as the second city. This would be the home of 16-year-old trans and gender non-conforming youth. A little bit of the backdrop, the setting of this Caribbean city. There, it all began on that Sunday, July 21st, around 5 a.m. on Orange Main Road in the Urin area of northeastern St. John, Montego Bay. Deputy Chief Steve Brown received a phone call about a body being discovered on Orange Main Road. And when he arrived, there was a body of a African-American trans and gender non-conforming youth. 
Assigned male at birth and identified as Dwayne Jones, the body was immediately taken to the coroner's office. There, there was a discovery as the body was autopsied and it revealed that Dwayne's badly, brutally bullet-ridden body not only had been shot three times throughout the head, neck, and upper torso, but also that of signs of blunt force trauma to the back of the head, as well as sharp force trauma throughout the entire body. Dwayne Jones had been brutally stabbed, beaten, chopped, and then also ran over by a car. This is the sad image that Officer Steve Brown was left with. And as all of this is being revealed, Dwayne Jones's family is notified of his hateful homicide. He had been unhoused for the past two years when he had begun his journey around 2011 at the age of 14. Growing up in Montego Bay, Dwayne Jones grew up in a very masculine community household with a father who wanted each and every one of his children to obey by the binary structures. And when Dwayne, who was very feminine and expressive in their gender journey, began to displace signs of, as you heard in the initial audio, signs of non-heterosexual behavior. Duane's father removed, banished them from the home. And as we continue to go through this case, welcome my audience. Thank you all so much for joining in to this episode, the season finale of A Hateful Homicide. This is season three, episode 13, Goodbye Gully Queen. And this case, my audience, is captivating. It is our international case in the country of Jamaica. This is a tale of a youth who was being themselves for themselves and was willing to live on the streets in Montego Bay to survive in these storm drainages where a lot of LGBTQ plus youth would reside called the gullies, these storm drainage systems throughout Montego Bay. This is the only safe space that these LGBTQ youth had in Montego Bay, the again, capital of the St. James Parish in Jamaica. Montego Bay is a city, the second largest city um, alongside Kingston, but all of these cities, major and minor cities, are known for having discrimination towards LGBTQ youth. And when they do not adhere to the binary and gender construction norms of these country and major and minor cities, they are then banished from their homes. Their families are complicit in this very often. And then often, too many times, they are left in these storm drainage systems, left to survive on their own with resources from countries such as Canada who will funnel over food and clothing and other resources to these storm drainages called the gullies. Dwayne Jones had been nicknamed the Gully Queen by two of their best friends, two trans women of color, black trans women. At the time of Dwayne's hateful homicide in 2013, they were 23 years old. Their names were Kiki and Chloe and they had a love story for Dwayne, who was 
you know, very expressive in being feminine and masculine, utilizing the pronouns he, she, they throughout their journey. In 2013, Dwayne Jones was 16. They were a sophomore in high school and was still navigating their life. Um, they were in the beginning stages of learning how to drive and often loved to get their hair braided. They were really good at dancing. And throughout this episode, we're gonna be able to get quite a bit of audio evidence from Dwayne Jones's voice themselves talking about their own lived experience in the gullies and how they um, adopted the name of the gully queen. And so again, there's case as, um, as our season finale entails, like so many of our cases, my audience, where there has been no perpetrator convicted for the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones. Nonetheless, we want to make sure that we continue to raise awareness and say their names nine years later and make sure that we continue to give justice to Dwayne by raising awareness and also again giving them a voice. So let's dive into this case, my audience, and go back into the narrative of Sunday, July 21st, 2013. Dwayne Jones, Kiki, and Chloe were all invited to a party in the Erin area of Montego Bay. They arrived around 2.30 a.m. after retrieving a taxi. They got there. There was about 300 people, all identified as cishet, cisgendered and heterosexual. And this party, Dwayne Jones had been female presenting. Dwayne Jones, often in the gully area, would be very female presenting. This was one of the um, catalysts for Dwayne being um, removed from their home in 2011 and living on the streets of the gully. And so then you have Dwayne Jones, who has been female presenting in this space at this party with 300 people. Dwayne Jones, Kiki and Claire all having a good time. Hey girl, hey, jamming talking, drinking, smoking, right? Doing what young adults and youth do at parties in the summertime. And all of a sudden, this cisgendered woman who had knew Dwayne in passing along the streets of Montego Bay, but wasn't quite familiar with their journey or truth, um, just kind of went up and inquired about Dwayne's gender journey and their gender identity. And when Dwayne disclosed that they identified as trans and gender non-conforming, this cis woman went over to several of the cis men that Dwayne had been dancing with and disclosed to them that Dwayne was gender non-conforming and trans. They then went over to Dwayne, confronted them, asking him if he was quote unquote a man or woman. Dwayne Jones began to fear for their safety and wanted to leave, as well as Kiki and Chloe. The crowd began to mob up in a way that became, became hostile and threatening. They then placed Dwayne in a restroom of the house party at this bar area. And when they went into the restroom, they removed Dwayne's bra and underwear. And it was revealed that Dwayne was assigned male at birth. The mob became heavier and angrier. And though there has never been one specific person as to who um, these individuals were that, that uh, brutalized and committed the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones, we do know that they be then began to punch him with their fists, 
stump him, kick him, them throughout their entire body. They also then begin to stab Dwayne throughout the entire body. Dwayne would go into a state of consciousness and unconsciousness for a period of two hours. And then around 4 a.m., um, just over two hours after the, the, the brutal beating and knife attack began, Dwayne Jones was arisen to, again, more blows, more attacks, and then finally ran over with a vehicle. After Dwayne was ran over with the vehicle, they were then shot three times, once in the head, in the neck, in the chest. That would be the final wounds of Dwayne Jones, and that would be how he was succumbed to his injuries. Once the mob had cleared, a passerby decided to notify the authorities. They then notified Officer Steve Brown. Him and his team went out to Orange Main Road, which is where Dwayne Jones's body was just dumped over in some brushes. And then the body again was taken over to the coroner. As all of this was ongoing, you might want to know what happened to Kiki and Chloe. Well, my audience, they were able to go inside of, um, inside of a church where they were then met by that mob. Chloe was almost sexually assaulted before they narrowly escaped into the woods of Montego Bay. Several other trans youth who resided in the gullies were warned about what had happened to Dwayne Jones. And they immediately left that area where Dwayne Jones resided. As all of this is unfolding and, and people are being interviewed, no one is speaking up. Officer Steve Brown is having a challenge of getting anyone to speak up about what happened. Besides the initial 911 call, which just included that Dwayne Jones had been discovered in brushes, um, badly shot, stabbed, strangled, chopped. All of these things were alerted in this 911 call, which is too graphic to air. But nonetheless, these details were aired. So Officer Steve Brown, Deputy Superintendent Steve Brown, had the wherewithal to be able to probe these questions to the party goers who were at this party. But none of them would reveal who were the individuals in this mob that shot, stabbed, beat, and ran over Dwayne Jones. So again, Dwayne Jones was one of the few victims in 2013 that was met by a, a, a mob of violence. And this is how the gully queen of Montego Bay went out. This beautiful 16-year-old gender nonconforming and trans youth of color was snuffed out just for simply going to a party as themselves for themselves. And one feeling like they were in a safe space to disclose to a cis woman, right? That this was their truth, their affirming truth. This cis woman goes over and discloses Dwayne's gender identity without their permission, resulting in the hateful homicide. Unfortunately, Dwayne Jones was not the only victim in 2013. Five men, cis men, were trapped by an angry mob in Jamaica. This is a little bit of their story. Community of Green Mountain in Mulgally, Manchester was angrily awakened Thursday after the actions of an alleged homosexual man. Residents became riled up when the man allegedly made statements which made them gravely concerned. The residents would have none of it. We have young youths that come up and what they want to do is take them and put them in a different direction. 
when time we can bear the hunger and, and, and not stoop to a certain level, the younger youths them really can do that. So at that really start all of this. But further developments too helped to compound an already bad situation. Intern woman have breast sexy black woman. Dropping clothes and showing everything to them. We don't want that. And as the story spread like wildfire throughout the community, the residents' annoyance spilled over and the five men and the vehicle belonging to them were barricaded. Under the watchful eyes of the curious onlookers for what seemed like an eternity, both residents and those blocked in waited for more police officers to arrive. The officers finally came and... The residents reluctantly complied and the additional policemen went to get the men from the house. Some residents were quick to point out that they have been tolerant with the practices of the men but were not in agreement with recent utterances and behavior. You see, if it's legal, they have to keep it in them house. But they can't come and try and take over the community, especially this community, Greenmount. We now have a stand for it. We allow them to come from ever since and then pass through and we not, we not disturb them. But now that they want to spread it in the community, we are going to take action. The raucous applause of the residents as the men were allowed to go into their vehicle and escorted out of the community by the police signaled an end to the saga. This is one example in 2013 where these individuals were able to survive with their lives still intact, my audience. Unfortunately, that was not the case for Dwayne Jones. After the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones, as well as these five cis gay men who were trapped by an angry mob near Montego Bay in the Green Mountain area, Prime Minister Portia Simpson Miller and Senator Mark Golding all united to speak up and speak out and raise awareness. The Human Watch of Jamaica, as well as Justice for Jamaica, all these advocacy groups got together to raise awareness in 2013 about these hateful homicides and violence incidents of LGBTQ plus individuals in the country of Jamaica consistently being attacked by angry mobs for simply being themselves. So what you can hear here, my audience, is this chronic behavior of when you have someone who does not identify as cisgendered or heterosexual and when they are in the country of Jamaica, what happens to them when they do not comply? Well, they are met by an angry mob and either they are going to be viciously attacked or either trapped in a vehicle or in Dwayne Jones's case, brutally murdered by being beaten, stabbed, shot, chopped and ran over with a car. All of these incidents cause individuals to speak out. Also, public health official Everald Morgan reached out to the law enforcement agencies, that including Deputy Superintendent Steve Brown, to assure that the four youth who were also in the goalie systems uh, where Dwayne Jones resided would receive some kind of safety net, some kind of rescue opportunity as the individuals were aware of where Dwayne Jones resided. This mob had become aware of where Dwayne Jones resided. And unfortunately, within several months after the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones, a group of those members from that party went over to that gully community and torched those 
homes, these barely, um, these shacks, you would call them, and burn them all down near these drainage systems and even set fire within the drainage system. So that way these LGBTQ youth and young adults, as well as just adults, period, who were there for safety, would come out of these storm drainage. Almost think about like getting some kind of pest out of out of a hole and then putting something in there to have them all come out. This is the experience that these individuals went through in October of 2013, three months after the hateful homicide. As we continue to go through this case, my audience, people responded internationally to the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones, this incredible gully queen. And, you know, um, we have Janice Noli and Richard Fallon, both um, Jamaican commentators and podcasters who spoke in about that. And we're going to hear from them in just a moment. But before we do, I want to delve a little bit more into the biography of Dwayne Jones, born on April 27th of 1997 um, in Montego Bay. Dwayne Jones was born to a very impoverished and low to no income family. Always this plan, you know, described as effeminate behavior. By the age of 14 in 2011, Dwayne Jones was again removed from their home by their father by the name of Jonathan Jones. When Jonathan kicked Dwayne out of the home, Dwayne's mother, Sylvia, who was not, um, who was very, you know, um, submissive to her husband, Jonathan, this left Dwayne with no other place to go. He, as well as utilizing the pronoun, she and they, was aware of the gullies. And so they went there, these drainage systems within the Montego Bay area. And there, Dwayne met 21-year-old trans women, Kiki and Chloe. They all became good friends. And they described Gully as someone who desired to become a teacher or to work in the tourist industry. Nicknamed Diva, always spicy and joking around. And one of Dwayne's favorite artists was Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga was one of the inspirations and Dwayne Jones was known for being able to do interpretive dances and other forms of artistic expressions to really get their point across. And so again, in 2013, Dwayne Jones was concluding, had concluded their sophomore year of high school. They were getting ready to go into their junior year. They would have been getting um, that August of 2013, so just a month prior to their hateful homicide. And so all of these things were snuffed out on that Sunday morning at 5 a.m. on July 21st, 2013, when Dwayne Jones's badly brutalized body was discovered on Orange Main Road leaving the city of Montego Bay marching for justice. And so again, not only were they marching for justice, but they all had commentating and remarks on the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones. And you can hear that one of them now by Janice Nelly. I don't know how this whole setup was, but how do we, how is there a party, right? A party, you know, in public. And you can you tell me that no one, no one can be identified for the death, like no one at all. I don't know. That's kind of fishy. I don't know. I don't even want to make any assumptions. But I don't know. Like, was Jamaican police really trying to get justice? You know. I don't know. I find it a bit fishy. 
that not even one person, one person got charged or arrested. I, I don't know. Like that sounds a bit fishy to me. That's just me. I don't know. Like let's really think about it. Jamaican police really taking this seriously, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's just my theory. I just, I just don't, I just don't find it credible in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Don't come for me. And yeah, I just don't, I don't buy it. Like not even one person, not even one person. I don't know. Sounds a bit fishy. Yes, guys, that is the end of this very sad story. Um, Dwayne still hasn't gotten justice to this day. It's very sad, I'm not gonna lie, this story has really broken my heart, you know, it's been very heavy, but leave your thoughts in the comments below and I'll see you in the next one. And that was her intake um, and input on just the response of the Jamaican law enforcement, right? So what is being done in revolving, involving the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones? It's been nine years and no one has been arrested. We're coming up on a decade in less than a year. And we have to ask ourselves, my audience, will Dwayne Jones ever get the justice that they deserve? Please let me know what you think. But now I wanna also take a moment and share thoughts from the Richard Fowler Show, another Jamaican individual who definitely had their own thoughts and views on the hateful homicide of Dwayne Jones. And one thing, that I always remember, and I grew up in a very Jamaican community, is one thing, and one thing that Jamaicans pride themselves on is the fact that the, the motto of the country is out of many, one people. When did that motto become so blurred? When the lines become so blurred? Where did the many disappear? Because it doesn't matter who you are, whether you choose to be a man, whether you used to be a straight man or a straight woman, or a lesbian woman, or a gay man, or a transgendered woman, or a transgendered man, or a bisexual woman, or a bisexual man. It should not matter because out of many, one people. Jamaicans, we can do better. We can do better. Why must another young person have to die because of how they choose to identify? Why must one fear for their own life because of who they choose to love. When will we start to understand that we need to celebrate difference? We need to acknowledge difference. We need to put the path, we need to put the whole ideal of hatred and discrimination behind us. Why? There should be no more bloodshed because of who you choose to love. Now understand this issue goes far beyond just Dwayne, because the former the former prime minister of the country, not the current prime minister, the former, wouldn't allow somebody who identified as LGBT in their cabinet. This is a country that's not too far from America. There's a lot of Jamaicans who live right here in America who share those same type of views and same type of values. And to them, tonight, if they're watching this, I want to call them out. I want to call them out. Those Jamaicans and both those who live in Jamaica and those that live right here in America who think it is okay 
to hate somebody because of who they choose to love or to threaten to kill somebody because of who they choose to love or who they choose to be. Understand this one thing to be true. You, your the motto of the country says out of many, one people. When, do, when does that many stop? Where does that many line end? There is no end to many. It means a plethora, a lot, multiple. You can't count them. They're innumerable. Their differences are innumerable. So stop it. Stop this ideal of hating somebody because of who they choose to love. This is not your, it's not your life. This is their life. Right? It's not your life. It is their life. It is their choice to live their life. Not yours to dictate how they live their life or take their life away from them. It's about celebrating difference, folks. Celebrating difference. So if there's any Jamaican watching and that's the view that you choose to have, I'm calling you out tonight. And I'm calling you out and I'm saying that you are a fraud and a shame to perpetuate and pledge the Jamaican flag or the American flag for that matter, understanding that the motto of the country is out of many, one people. Richard Fowler, folks. One people. And was Dwayne Jones part of the Jamaican motto? Was he considered? Was she considered? Was they considered one people? We have to ask ourselves that and we must continue to do better. My audience, you know, also from a Jamaican broadsheet, The Gleaner, professor of literary and cultural studies at the University of Wisconsin, Carolyn Cooper, condemned the group who committed Jones's murder. She blamed their behavior on the selective use of the Bible, noting that while many Jamaicans embrace those biblical passages, which condemn same sexual activity and quote-unquote cross-dressing, they are themselves typically guilty of many other biblical sins, such as adultery and murder. She commented that Jones had been killed for being himself and expressed the hope that his killers face legal prosecution for their crime. The following week, she published a follow-up article in which she responded to several emails that she had received, which claimed that the real victims of the scenario were the men whom Jones quote-unquote deceived when he was dancing with them. She reiterated her condemnation of Jones's killers, remarking rather than retaliating violently, they should have brushed it off with a humorous comment. She was not the only one who felt like this was completely unnecessary. But also, we want to hear from the Gully Girls these incredible stories of trans and LGBTQ victims themselves who have experienced firsthand violence for simply being who they are and their survival stories. Some of them knew Dwayne and were traumatized by this horrific experience. And so Vice News was really great with being able to share a little bit of that from some of these victim stories. We grew up to dislike homosexuals. We grew up to hate homosexuality. When them see me, them see me as a gangster. So the F Nina tell him, me okay, him piano. We we'll have drama in the gully like every day. They get in arguments. They even throw acid and chop each other. It can be very crazy. Four stop. 
homosexuality in Jamaica don't have any hope. It's just no, no. Never gonna happen. They're gonna kill us faster. You dress flamboyant and you're on the road. Your clothes got burned. Go somewhere running down. I have to chop you. I have to stab you. All different type of stuff up. Jamaica's history of homophobia is by no means a secret. With cultural and religious conservatism rife, being out and proud isn't exactly an option. While some believe Jamaica's attitudes to homosexuality are slowly evolving, last year actually saw an increase in homophobic and transphobic violence, with attacks often taking place in broad daylight and shared across social media. We travel to the capital city of Kingston to explore the reality of being gay in a country known for its LGBT intolerance. Though homosexuality is technically not illegal here, the presence of Jamaica's colonial hero buggery law, which criminalizes anal sex, can land you a 10-year prison sentence with hard labor. In central Kingston, there is now a community of trans and gay youth living in a storm drain, or as the locals call it, a gully. Prominent LGBT activist Maurice Tomlinson offered to introduce us to the kids living in the gully at a protest he was organizing to raise awareness about their situation. We have classes in Jamaica, so we have what is called the rich queens and the scary queens. The rich queens are the gay men who are of some means, like myself. We can insulate ourselves from the worst forms of homophobia. So we have this tendency to think of all the poor queens or the scary queens being at fault for having this homophobia meted out against them. If they were just be more like us, they'd be safer. You know, and if you're in a persecuted class as we are, you know, if you manage to escape your persecution, you don't want to bring any taint of that persecution. So for example, this stand we're doing today will be dedicated to the scary queens, the ones who aren't able to insulate themselves against the worst forms of abuse. I hope they come. <laughs> you know, they're both scary and scared. The scary queens. That might seem like a pejorative term, but it's the term that has been used to describe them and it has unfortunately got some kind of traction. Have they adopted that no, term? No, they, they refer to themselves as the gully queens or... Um, it's always got queen in it somewhere. <laughs> so they, they are the touchstone for how far the movement will advance. When they start being respected and their rights being respected, then we know we're right. Until then, we have to Unlike many LGBT people in Jamaica, the Gully Queens weren't trying to blend in or hide their sexuality for fear of being attacked. They actually seemed to be the most visible gay community because they didn't have a place to hide, and by stepping out of the gully in this protest was in itself an obvious act of defiance. It hadn't been five minutes before officials came to try and work out what we were doing. We have been having some problems with members of the diverse sexual group they live in the gully yeah. like you have one that goes by the name pebbles another one goes by the name batman one that goes by the name beyonce if you see anybody passing with a phone you will use like a knife or a machete pull them up and steal these phones they use the umbrella of the gay community to commit crimes that's not a good reflection for the community but why are people having to live in the gully in the first place living in the gully it is by their choice their sexual orientation that's their choice 
Our police officers, we are not averse to persons orientation. We invite them to come in and make reports. Most times they don't want to come back and give a statement. There are some persons who traverse these innocent communities and they wear their trans, their female garb and they are not attacked. Well, I mean, I find that kind of hard to believe because we've had them just sort of standing in sort of female dress here and they have people driving past shouting Batman and everything like well, that. You will find that yeah. anywhere at all you go. But the same way, they also attack straight people. Regardless of your sexuality, you could be a criminal. That's not what I'm saying. But one of the reasons that they're living in the sewers is because they feel like they can't be visible because they're going to get attacked. And I don't believe that. You don't believe that? I totally disagree with that statement. What do you feel like you've achieved today? Well, it is important that visibility happen. It causes a change. People need to know what who you're advocating for. It's easy to hate something you don't know. Yeah. And we want to say that today is Daggerin's birthday. Don't ask the lady what And you could hear my audience just a little bit from some of our beautiful other gully queens and gully girls. And even also Kingston Law Enforcement, um, Todd Bishop, where he did not feel that the Goalie Queens had to reside in these um, strange drainage systems. Excuse me. He also stated that uh, you know also that you know that these trans individuals would also attack cis people. So you know, again, it was very defensive when being interviewed, as you could hear. And I definitely would love to hear some of your thoughts and comments on that, please, especially my Spotify listeners. Um, definitely let me know your thoughts and comments on that with today's questions. Do you feel like that there is a safe space in Jamaica, like Kingston, like Montego Bay, for our gully queens, for our trans women? Let me know your thoughts. One of the things also regarding Thaws is an uh, incredible um, cis uh, gay man from the real world, um, MTV's real world, Karamo Brown. He identifies um, as a Jamaican queer man um, born in the United States, but he is a huge proponent for rights. And one of the things is that he wanted to do his part um, and raise an awareness, not only around Dwayne Jones's hateful homicide, but also those who are still in Jamaica and need support. So he interviewed several individuals regarding, you know, ways that we as a community right here in the United States and even my listeners in other countries, what we all can do to make sure that we're supporting our um, LGBTQ plus community members in Jamaica, because as you can here, their housing situation, their employment situation, healthcare situation is all in dire needs. And this is Worldview. A lot of you may not know, but I am from Kingston, Jamaica, and Jamaica is known for its beautiful beaches and great music, but it hasn't always been a paradise for LGBT people. Jamaica criminalized homosexuality in the 1800s, and today, more than 75% of Jamaicans still support that law. After centuries of being outlawed, queer Jamaicans are fighting more fiercely than ever. One of those Jamaicans is Niche, a transgender activist partnering with Outright. Niche, first question, how can the international community help you? It's a partner with local LGBTQI-led organizations that are on the ground and are already doing very important and critical work in the stride for equality and acceptance of LGBTQI people. Nish, I know that Jamaica has celebrated their first Pride. What were they like? 
Pride events in Jamaica has had a very positive impact on public perceptions of LGBTQI people. In Jamaica, Pride is a, builds a sense of community. It celebrates our humanity. It reflects how resilient we are as a people. It is an opportunity for LGBTQI people to come together for an entire week of activities. So Nish, what do you think the next steps are for Jamaica to become more inclusive? The next steps for Jamaica to be more inclusive would involve several things. One of which would be for our Charter of Rights to be amended to protect against discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Another important next step would be, especially for persons of trans experience and non-binary people, to be able to amend their legal documents to reflect the gender that they identify as. Nish, I want to know, from your experience, what are the current challenges for the trans community? Currently, there is no framework around providing access to trans healthcare, especially as it relates to hormone replacement therapy. In addition, mental health support um, for persons of trans experience and finding healthcare practitioners who are trans sensitive is, is also a barrier to care. So we would love to see a more holistic approach to trans healthcare. Nish, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Can you tell us about some recent progress that you're excited about? I think that especially in the last few years that there has been significant progress regarding visibility of um, trans people. This doesn't mean though that there are not still a lot of concerns regarding homelessness and displacement of trans youth, violence um, faced by the community, and with rising visibility also brings challenges of um, people being more vulnerable to attacks. However, at this time, um, what I've recognized is that the visibility of the community gives hope to other people who are not able or who do not even wish to be as visible. It helps people to see that there are other people out there like them, that we are not alone here. Like Nish said, your support to their efforts is crucial. If you want to support the activists there in Jamaica, please share this video. And make sure you come back to check out the next episode of Worldview. And again, that was Worldviews, the advocate hosted by Karamo. And you could hear Nish, an um, incredible trans man who was just sharing their truth, his truth about what is necessary for justice for the individuals in Jamaica who are victims of violence, healthcare discrimination, employment, and unhoused. Oh, my audience, this case has been one of the most captivating cases for me as a Caribbean woman. You know, I have my ancestral roots in Haiti. So I connected with Duween on that level, being 16 when I began my own gender journey. All of this just resonated with me. Um, and so, of course, it's just so heartbreaking as we think about Duween's short, sweet 16 life, just cut short. Um, but again, I want to just take this last little moment as we prepare to start concluding is um, just a voice that we should hear from, and that's Duane's. This was done in a May 2013 interview, just two months before their hateful homicide. That's Duane Gully Queen Jones doing what he loved, dancing. The 17-year-old became another one of Jamaica's over 500 murders since the start of 2013. However, 
his brutal slaying at the hands of an irate mob in Irwin St. James, has brought Jamaica yet again under the glare of the international spotlight. Because a straight man and up on the road at LOJ with the one night and they claim say when office size up in a day away, we must go and we own we are so. So we had him catch up now, so I mean him getting our dispute. Everybody run and so me defend myself, but see then did have one stone cut on me and I see big old boss in my head. That's the Dwayne Jones alive at 17 met in Albion Court, St. James, at the end of May. A handsome young man trying to, with the help of his friends, his now chosen family, navigate through the cold streets of Montego Bay. He had been kicked out of his home and chased out of his community. And at the time we met him, he and three gay friends were squatting in an abandoned government house in Albion. We are all behind our one and we are like one family living four brothers. We have no one behind us. Jones already knew that his homosexuality marked him for death. He'd been threatened enough by the police in Montego Bay. And then when they come, one, one of them was really, you know, all that group that was have one flight to one. One of the I next to us said this is our firm one and so in next one they just let them abandon and just shoot them because they have a right side. Almost two months later, Jones was brutally murdered. On July 22, Jones, dressed in full female clothing, attended a street dance as Gully Queen. With dance moves that rivaled those of any dance hall queen, he caught the attention of a man who decided to dance with him. But soon, a woman who knew Jones was male let the cat out of the bag. He was surrounded by a group of persons demanding to know whether he was a man or a woman. He insisted he was female. His friends, his constant companions, tried to get him out of the crowd. But despite the attempts to flee, the crowd gave chase. His friends barely managed to escape. One took shelter in a nearby church. However, Jones wasn't so lucky. He was beaten, chopped, stabbed, and shot. The police found his body in the bushes the following day. His parents, who still live in Montego Bay, have refused to claim the body. The local gay lobby group, JFLAG, says they will give him his final rest. And going into four weeks since his murder, the police still have no leads in the case. So no one has yet been charged. And to my love bug, Dwayne Jones, utilizing pronouns. He, she, and they are incredible trans and gender non-conforming youth. We remember you, born April 27th, 1997, and resting on since July 21st, 2013. Again, we remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Oh, my audience, thank you all so much for tuning in to season three finale of A Hateful Homicide, The Murder of Dwayne Jones. Goodbye, our gully queen. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Season four will be returning this fall with some amazing updates, and I'll keep you all apprised. Some more international cases that are going to be coming in season four as well. 
please check out our website at a hateful homicide.net. You can also follow us on Instagram at a hateful homicide, and you can follow me, your host, at Mallory Jenna90. And also please use the hashtags a hateful homicide, trans awareness, true crime, investigative journalism, podcast, sp- suspenseful Saturdays. That was a mouthful. <laughs> so again, please enjoy the rest of your day and in your summer. And we will be connecting again this fall. Thank you all so much. And please, if you have not already, binge seasons one through three and continue to share. Have a great day and I'll see you this fall. (laughs) Bye-bye.